Alright, we're going to get started. Um, we're going to start with prayer, because it's a great way to start. I want to let you guys know that um, some of you know this already. My older brother, had a um, he was riding his bicycle yesterday with his wife. Um, two different bicycles. He, um, he fell off his bicycle, didn't hit anything um, over the last 24 or so hours. He has been uh, unconscious. He was helivac to a trauma hospital in our area. Um, he's come to somewhat, um, he's, but he's right now being wheeled into surgery to fix his, um, a couple bones that were broken. Um, he had some head bleeding that has stopped, praise the Lord. Um, so we're going we're gonna to pray for our session, but we're also going to pray for my brother Sean. Um, he is a general surgeon, um, but he probably won't be for the next few weeks. Um, but let's pray, shall we? Father, it is a good day. It's a good day to be in a place where people are desiring to, to follow you and to find out how to to be more effective in accomplishing this great commission that you've given us. Father, right now I lift up my brother. Lord, you are the great physician. Lord, I ask that you give the doctors wisdom as they operate, even right now. That they will be able to fix the bones, and that he would come, Lord, do surgery well, and that he would be able to be restored to his practice of medicine down in Florida. Lord, we do love you. We ask that you would open our minds and open our hearts today for what you would teach us. That we would leave this place with a vision for doing missions in a, in a way that will be most effective for seeing your kingdom advance around the world. Lord, we do love you, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm. So, here's where we're going today. I always like to start this so you know where we're going, and then we're going to go there, and then I'm going to tell you where we've been. Alright? That way, hopefully, none of us will be confused. I must confess, I hate PowerPoint. Um, I think this may be Keynote. I do Keynote may be a little bit better. Um, but a lot of times, presenters just put all their information on the screen. I don't do that. It's pretty much just an outline and a couple of videos. Hey, if everybody over here could kind of make your way and find the... We're calling, this is called Building Empowering Partnerships. It's better to do it together. Okay. All right, so we're going we're gonna to get through. Hopefully, I always say this and a lot of times we don't, but hopefully we'll have time at the end for questions. All right? Building Empowering Partnerships. This is my family. So you can start counting up there. The one next to me is my wife, not a daughter. Um, so seven girls. My oldest on the far, your far left is in college at the University of Florida. Um, I want everybody to do this for me. This is a... Um, this is, what do you call it, attendee participation, right? Put your hand up like this. Put your hand like this. And bring them together. That's right. Go Gators. <laughs> A little bit sneaky, right? Sorry. So this is my family. People oftentimes ask me, so Jamie, um, you travel a lot. And I say, yep. And they say, why? 
I show them this picture, they don't ask any more questions. <laughs> These are my parents. Um, one of the questions that normally I get asked the most at this conference, actually this conference is a little bit different. They've been asking me about my brother. This is my dad and my mom. We had some family pictures taken at a, at a lake close to where they live. Um, my dad had a spinal cord injury about seven and a half years ago. Um, was left an incomplete quadriplegic. Um, he can still walk when he feels good. He can still drive. Occasionally he can fly. Um, when he's feeling good, he gets out on uh, what he calls Big Red, his little tractor. And he's um, still very active. My mom likes to ride horses. And my dad just got her a little, a little puppy. It's a little fur ball. Um, and so she's, and she has 20, 21 grandkids, so she's doing well. These are my grandparents. Um, so where we're going today is I, we're going to talk about, uh, I'm going to go over just a little bit of my background of why I would be standing here and why you would be in this room listening to somebody like me. Um, hopefully that will make sense when I cover that. But mainly today we're going to talk about the mission and the omission. The mission that God has given us and what we have done to fail in completing the Great Commission. And as we talk about the omission, then we're going to look at a couple ways to fix that. And really that's why we titled this Building Empowering Partnerships. How many of you know the people in this picture? Raise your hands. Up tall. How many of you do not know the people in this picture? Raise your hands. Okay. So this little boy right here is my dad. This is my aunt. This is, these are my grandparents. Um, my grandfather, Nate Saint, was a missionary pilot. Um, that's his uh, airplane that he flew. They went to try to reach a group of previously unreached, very savage Indians. How many of you know the story of End of the Spear? Okay, that's my grandfather put the group of men, Jim Elliott, Roger Darian, Pete Fleming, and Ed McCauley, together to go reach a, a group of Indians. They had a friendly contact. Two days later, um, the Indians came back and speared my grandfather and his four friends. Um, you can, End of the Spear is the book. There's a movie, End of the Spear. There's many books. Through Gates of Splendor tells the original story. This is the full story. Beyond the Gates of Splendor is the documentary. Um, but I'm not going to tell you that story. You can get a book and you can read it. In fact, I think we have these at our booth. For a donation of any amount, you can have one of those. Or if you talk really nice to some of the folks on our team, they may even give you one. But my family has spent a lot of time in missions. Um, it's not just, not just in you know, this, this 1956 story. And my dad grew up, was adopted by the man that killed my grandfather. In fact, I want to read you a quote from this. It just kind of maybe gives you a little insight into... Heritage may not be the right thing, but at least into my grandfather's mind before they went and were killed by this group of Indians. And I think this is one of the things that personally has challenged me in being involved in missions. ITEC is the one thing I say, God, I will do anything and I will go anywhere except work at ITEC. Yeah, try telling God that. It doesn't work so well, I can assure you. 
So it's Christmas time of 1955. And here's what my grandfather wrote in his journal. He said, as we have a high old time this Christmas, may we who know Christ hear the cry of the damned as they hurtle headlong into the Christless night without ever a chance. Would that we could comprehend the lot of these Stone Age people who live in mortal fear of ambush on the jungle trail. Those to whom the bark of a gun means sudden, mysterious death. Those who think all men in all the world are killers like themselves. If God would grant us the vision, the word sacrifice would disappear from our lips and thoughts. We would hate the things that seem now so dear to us. Our lives would suddenly be too short. We would despise time-robbing distractions and charge the enemy with all our energies in the name of Christ. May God help us to judge ourselves by the eternities that separate the Alcas from a comprehension of Christmas and Him, who though He was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that we might through His poverty be made rich. Growing up, I'm, I was born in Minnesota, in the frigid north. We moved to Texas, spent some time in, in Ecuador from time to time. We moved over to Mali, West Africa for a year, and then moved back to uh, the U.S. and down into Florida. In 1994, my great-aunt Rachel, who had been living with this tribe, died of cancer. My dad went down for the funeral, and this is going to be key to understand what we're going to be talking about this morning, or this afternoon. So when my aunt had first moved into the jungles two weeks, two years after my grandfather was killed, my dad went in two years after that. And my dad ended up getting adopted by the man, Minkai, who killed my grandfather. Okay, are you with me so far? So when my aunt died of cancer, we were family with this tribe. So the tribe came and they told my family, they said, look, You being our family, you need to come and teach us what the outsiders know. Well, what were they asking? Or what were they telling us? They said this. They said, foreigners are always coming and they're doing for us. They come and they fix our medical problems. They come and they fix our dental problems. But they said there's two problems. One, they only come when it's convenient for them not when we have a problem. And two, when they come, they can only take care of a physical problem, but our people have more than a physical problem. They have a bigger problem. It's a spiritual problem. So they said, you come and you teach us what the foreigners know, medical care and dental care, and even flight, because in the jungles, flight is essential. They said, And we will be here not only when there's a problem in order to take care of the problem, but we'll be able to take care of the physical problem and tell them how Jesus can fix their hearts. Sounds really good, right? But how do you do that? But that was the idea that started the organization that I work with called ITEC, the Indigenous Peoples Technology and Education Center. I'm going to tell you a little bit about ITEC, but I'm not here to tell you about ITEC. Because there's other organizations here that I'll mention later that are doing much the same as we are. 
And you need to connect with all of them. But, you know, living with the Waodani out in the Amazon rainforest gave us a different perspective on missions. Because for the first time, we saw missions from the receiver's point of view and not from the sender's point of view. They're very, very different. When a dentist had come into the jungles, people from far off villages were walking over the trail to get there. And several that we heard, when they came, the dentist was packing up to leave. And they said this. They said, now our teeth hurt more because we know their teeth have been fixed. Did you know that there are sometimes unintended consequences of well-meaning people? And we can leave and we can feel really good about it, but oftentimes we create animosity within a people group by trying to do, try to help them. So one of the first rules of missions that we want to know is do no harm. Do no harm. And so we need to be very intentional about having a relationship with the people so that we know Are we helping or are we harming? And there's a book, When Helping Hurts. Have you read that? Anybody read that book? This whole topic um, started really when, when our family lived down in the Amazon. There were very few people, if any, talking about missions in that way. And, and so when we moved back, my dad wrote a book called The Great Omission. And we're going to be talking a little bit about I mean, the concept, this is the heartbeat of ITEC. It's, in order to fulfill Christ's Great Commission, what is the single greatest omission that we have done? And that's we've left out the indigenous Christ followers. But you see, once they become a Christ follower, every Christ follower's mission is the same. And it is the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? Somebody. This is interactive. Very short. What do we say? Go and... Make disciples. What is a disciple? Is it? It's one who follows Christ and can also make other disciples of Christ. Right? Because when we look at Matthew 28 and then we also look at uh, 2 Timothy 2.2, a disciple is one who follows Christ and can make other disciples of Christ. Right? That that is what we're told to do. But you see, this tribe of people had been so dependent on outsiders, and they saw the need that their people had, and it was a spiritual need, but they knew that the way to the spiritual was through the physical. You know, because they read this book too. There's this book that I read daily about this guy. And do you know what he would do? He would go and he would meet people where they hurt. And sometimes that's all he would do. And then he would leave. And you know what people did? It was really weird. They followed him. And then he would sit down or he would stand up and he would teach them. You guys read that book? Right? You're following along. Alright, we're good, right? For those of you who may still be a little bit in that after-food-lunch-coma thing, 
um, or you haven't had enough coffee. I'm too young for coffee, so I don't drink it. Um, I'm, I need to stay on task. All right. Um, that's the Bible. That's the book that we're supposed to be reading that is our compass for living in this, in this world. So at iTech, we're focused on teaching Christ followers to fish rather than fishing for them you know, daily, right? That's not our call. Our call is, is to make fisher, well, fishers of men, yes, but if we teach them how to fish, then they can feed themselves and teach other people how to fish. And then do you know what we can do? We can go teach others, other places how to fish. So giving a, a hand up rather than a hand out. Right? Okay. So at iTech we really do three things. We develop, we train, and we equip. This is part of the equipping. But the developing is we develop unique tools. Stop by our booth. You'll see a dental chair. You'll see some other things there. They're really neat tools. We have engineers that do that. Then we train. And some of our trainers are back here at this table where we, tra- we go around the world and we train Christ followers. And then equipping is teaching others to do the same. Sharing the vision of that. And that's what we're doing in this room today. Alright, where are my volunteers? Come on up. You have my three volunteers. Come on up. I'm going to try to explain this to you very succinctly. Alright? <clears throat> So I need you to stand right there. We're going to do this a little bit differently. I need you to be right here with me. I need you to stand right here. Okay? You have the hard job. Okay. You ready for exercise? Yes. Okay. I need you right here. You face that way. And you face that way. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to lay it out here just for a moment. You're going to get this. So you can hold on to that. Right. You're the caretaker. Be very careful. Now. I need you, you're going to step right up here so everybody can see me. Okay, a little bit more. You'll come back in a minute. All right, are you ready? I need you to pay attention because when I start doing the tape, then everybody gets mesmerized by the tape. So you need to understand first. Today in the world, and this comes right out of this book, all right, this example. Today in the world, how many people are here? Approximately. 3,000. No, in the world. I appreciate the enthusiasm. It's about 7 billion people. Okay? 7 billion people. How many of those have never heard the name of Jesus? Round number. 3 billion people. Okay? 7 billion people on the planet. 3 billion have never heard the name of Jesus. 800 million of those live beyond roads. They live in places in jungle areas around the world where roads do not go. So you're with me so far. Seven billion, three billion have never heard. Right? We're good? Okay. Now, how many long-term foreign missionaries are there in the world today? And by that, I mean somebody who lives in one country and goes to another country for the sake of of the gospel. Approximately. Twelve thousand. No, about 140,000. Okay? So 140,000 to reach the 3 billion. Are you with me still? Okay. Now, that number, at any given time, some of the missionaries are back home. Whether it's to raise more money or to see family or to talk to all the churches about what they're doing. Typically about a third to a quarter. 
then some are just plainly ineffective. Alright? So we're going to round that down to about 100,000. 100,000 active missionaries in the world today. Are you still with me? Okay. Now, of those 100,000 missionaries, get this, 90% are going to countries that are considered reached. Only 10% are going to countries that are considered unreached. Are you with me still? Okay. Now, your task is going to be very, very simple. You just get to walk. Now, we're first going to just grab some of this out here for me. Then you're going to walk around, and your name is? Fabio. Fabio. Great to meet you. And your name? Katie. Katie. I have a daughter, Katie. That's a great name. Amy. Amy. And we have a, an Amy back here. Great. So you're going to take this, and just you're going to walk right around Fabio here. And Fabio, you're just going to grab onto that. Okay. Now you're going to walk around. Amy's going to grab it down there. And you just hold on, give her a little bit of tug. We're going to drop this down so you can walk right over it. And you just keep going. All right. Now I'm going to explain what this is. This is a 300-foot tape. So she's going to be walking for a while. But this is going to represent, for this illustration, you got it. This is the key. If you leave here with nothing else, you need to leave here with this. This 300-foot tape is going to represent the 3 billion people in this world who have never heard the name of Jesus. Are you with me? And she has some walking to do. But you need to pay attention because every inch, every foot is representing thousands if not millions of people who have never heard the name of Jesus. This is the Great Commission. And we're just going to just ponder for a moment. You're about to stop. Alright, look at that. Okay. You can just set it down right where you are. And Fabio and Amy, you can just set it down. Thank you very much. You all may be seated. Now, yeah, that's right. Give them a round of applause. Now, this 300-foot tape measure. If we look at those 100,000 missionaries, somebody tell me where we're going to get on this tape measure. And if you've seen this before, you are not permitted to answer. Where do we get? Somebody throw it out. I hadn't, where's my enthusiastic participant over here? Somebody, throw out a, where are we? What? One inch. One more. Ten inches, alright. You know, we get to about one-eighth of an inch. About right there. Are you with me so far? This is the Great Commission, and what we've done is we've given, we've sent 100,000. Now, let's just say that each one of them, man, man they are go-getters. And they each reach 500 people. 500, that's a lot, right? I mean, if each one of them reaches 500 people, where do we get to? 
Come on, don't get out your calculator. Just tell me, where do we get to? I know. I see the mile. Oh, hang on. Carry the one. Where do we get to? No. How far on the tape do we get? How far? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We get to about five feet. Now, 100,000 missionaries, they each reach 500. We get to five feet. This draws a conclusion of one of two conclusions. Either our Savior gave us a task that is impossible, or we are not doing God's will God's way. Which do you think it is? Is the Great Commission impossible? Or are we not doing God's will God's way? You can disregard the phrase. If you read the Bible at all, you can disregard the first one because He is a good Father. Our Father is a good Father. He would not... I have never told my kids to stand and jump on top of the roof without... Okay. From there, I jump on the roof and then punish them for not doing it. That would be cruel because they don't have that capability. So I believe it is that we are not doing God's will God's way. And Fabio, you get a wonderful task that uh, because you volunteered afterwards, you can you get a roll of three. <laughs> so I want to show you a video that um, we'll kind of share with you. This is from the Missions Dilemma. Now, I'll tell you this. If you go by our booth and you sign up for our newsletter, we are going to give you an electronic copy of The Great Omission and The Missions Dilemma. You'll see excerpts of it, but we're going to send those links to you free of charge. Watch this video. You may be asking yourselves now, short-term missions is sensitive? It's a controversial issue. Why? Ask yourselves this question. What does short-term missions accomplish long-term? Bearing in mind our instruction from God is to make disciples who make disciples.
Maybe we need tools and training systems for the local church to partner and build relationships with churches and leaders. Train and equip indigenous Christ followers with skills and technology, which in turn empowers them to use the training they have received to open doors for the gospel. Training indigenous Christ followers who are part of the local church and who understand the culture allows them to expertly meet the needs of that specific community. Otherwise, if we become like Mama, 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 the pain always on the Americans. We have to learn to walk on our own. Whether the student is being trained in basic dentistry or to tell stories through video, the mission will continue long after the training ends. Remember, missions isn't about doing projects for God. This isn't a simple issue, but it is an issue that we have to put on the table. We need to remember Ezekiel 34. Shepherding is for the benefit of the sheep, not for the shepherds. If we're going to overcome this omission that we as the North American church have committed, we need to, first, we need to think family. We need to think family. Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read a few verses starting in verse 3. These are a very familiar passage to you. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, who are many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it, is, if it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. You know, when we think family, it's all of us together. It's the family of Christ. And there's a saying, if we don't care who gets the credit, there's no limit to what we can accomplish. But you know what? So often in, in this North American you know, mission mindset, do you know what happens? We take the credit for everything we could possibly take credit for. We try to, you know, because we're fighting over donor dollars, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at every way that Fabio and I are different. And I'm going to say, you know what? Fabio does it this way and I do it this way. So therefore you should support me. It's how the church is today. In fact, if you were in the, in the session this morning, um, you know, he was talking about the, the music. You know, the Val was talking about the music. that he went. he went to this church, but he wasn't really into the music. But then he saw and he looked at the words and it was like... 
But, well, I don't, I don't like the music, so I'm going to go to this church over here because their music is great. And, you know, communion, that, that's a whole other ball of wax because they have wine. How can I do that? But they have grape juice over here. And, well, you know, they do it every week and they only do it once a quarter. And, right? And that preacher, he preaches for more than 25 minutes. Who can sit through that? Go to Africa. (laughs) Go to South America. You know, the first guy may be 30 or 40 minutes, and then the next person gets up. And they have until, you know what? And do it sitting on on a half log. Not these padded things that we have in the church, right? So we look at all the ways that we're different. We try to find something that's the most comfortable for us. And so, we're focused on division instead of partnership. But if we were to focus on the things where we are the same, because I would guarantee Fabio and I probably have some different ideas about some things. But I would, I would bet that if he is a Christ follower, about 95% of the stuff that where he is, I'm there. And there are hills to die on. But you know what? If we can focus on one God, one Savior, one Spirit, one body, and one mission, you know what? We can work together. So if we were to start looking at the ways that we are the same instead of the ways that we are different, and I know it gets sensitive when we start talking about money. How many of you work for a mission organization? Raise your hands. Okay, quite a few. Now, if our money to do the ministry came from donors, I would say that yes, we need to take credit for everything that we do. But, if the finances to fund your ministry or your church come from the Lord, and He uses people to give it, then guess what? We can let go of the credit... Because He will fund us as long as He wants us to do that. And you know what? If the funding runs out, the mission hasn't changed. We just may do it somewhere else. And there are those that I've talked to here that, you know what? They go and they get their funding from a secular place. The mission hasn't changed. They may help to support ministry. They may go and do ministry. They may do both. And there is nothing wrong with that. Because, you know, one guy that I was, uh, that has supported iTech for a while, we were down in South America, and uh, he told me, he said, he and his family have been great supporters of ours. And he said, you know, Jamie, he said, man, I've just thought about quitting my job and doing something like what you're doing. I looked at him, I said, you are. I said, because we can't do what we're doing if you're not doing what you're doing. And helping to support us. I said, your passport may not have as many stamps as mine does. I said, but every time we're going somewhere, you're there with us. Because you're sending us there. So if we would begin looking at the areas where we're the same. Instead of the areas where we're different. You know what? There's a role for everybody to play in missions. 
There's a, and I'm not just talking about the going and the sending and the praying. I'm talking about the here. I'm talking about the there. There's a role for everybody to play. And we're going to look into that in a moment. And when we start looking at how do we partner and who do we partner with, we need to keep this in mind. Just because a people group is low technology does not mean they are low intelligence. Those are very two very, very different things. Just because they're low tech does not mean they're low intelligence. Just like Francesco said in the video, he said this, he said, we have to learn to walk on our own feet. Otherwise, we become like mama, mama, mama. Always depending on the Americans. We have to learn to walk on our own. You know what? The only way that this thing is going to be completed... Oh, I forgot to tell you the best part about this whole thing. Man. Alright, we're going back to this. Are you ready? Because without this, it doesn't make any sense. So, our mission efforts are five feet. But let's just say those 100,000 missionaries... Each disciple is 60 indigenous Christ followers. And each one of those reached 500. Guess where we get to? 300 feet. 3 billion people. Did you, did you see the difference there? If we do our mission efforts our way, or what we could say is God's will our way, we have 100,000, they each reach 500, we get to 5 feet. If we do God's will God's way, the 100,000, each disciple just 60, and each of those 60 reach 500, and do you know what? The Great Commission has been accomplished. That's 3 billion people. And frankly, I love traveling overseas, and I do it a lot. But about three or four days out in the jungles, I'm ready to go home. Three or four, five, six, seven days with no running water and a squatty potty, you know what? I'm ready to say, hey, you guys, this is your environment. They can handle that. They can live in that. I'm ready to go home and see my family. So if we do God's will God's way, we accomplish the whole thing. And the only difference is, instead of us going and doing it our way, we simply train the indigenous Christ followers, our brothers and sisters around the world. We leave, and they keep going. And then we just go somewhere else. Does that make some sense? It wouldn't have made any sense had I not included that part, right? I just get too excited up here. So we need to think family. And then we need to imagine their point of view. I mentioned it earlier. The going and sending end is very different from the receiving end when it comes to missions. Oscar Murillo in, in the Missions Dilemma, a pastor from Kenya, he says this, What I need is a brother who comes and gives me a shoulder to cry on, gives me space to express my pain, but doesn't try and fix me. And when Jesus comes into the world, He doesn't try and fix all the poverty, all the sickness, all the need, the political situation. He allows that to be, but He speaks grace and He speaks salvation and redemption within that context because there is a greater hope 
than this life itself. You know, Oscar also said in that, he said, you know, he said, you used to come and try to fix me. He said, now you send your teenagers over to try to fix me. He says, I, I know how to live in five different cultures. In fact, I've lived in those. I know five languages. He says, but a teenager came over who has never been outside of the United States. And before we left the airport, he was telling me how to fix me. But he also said this. He said, we need you. But you need us also. And I may not get this exactly right. He said, if we didn't have the Americans, where would the order be? He said, but if you don't have the Africans, where's the joy? Serving the Lord is a privilege. It is a joy. So what is the, how do we build empowering partnerships? First, we need to grab a baton. And we need to realize that we are in a race. And the race is a long race. But we only run one lap. We run one lap. They see what we're doing. We teach them. We give them the tools and the training necessary. And then we hand them the baton as they run. You notice in a 4 by 100 meter relay, right? What happens? The first runner takes off from the starting box and he runs. And he's running. And he's running. And when he gets to a certain point, the next runner starts running. He doesn't stand there and wait for the baton and then start running. They run a little bit together until they're up to speed. They hand off the baton. And when they hand off the baton, the first runner stops running. The second runner runs his lap. And then it happens again. The next runner begins to run. when he gets, He's watching a certain point and he starts running. And when he's up to speed, then he, was, he puts his hand out for the baton. That's how missions, if we're going to accomplish this commission, we have to be ready, we have to be willing to have a baton, realizing we're only there to run the first lap. We take the skills that we know and we transfer them to the indigenous Christ followers. And do you know what they do? They run a lap. And then they hand it off to the next. Frank Bukachi in the back of the room. Great example. And I think I saw Caleb. Caleb's over there. Frank, will you stand up? And Caleb, will you stand up? These men, you need to talk to them. Because do you know what they do? They understand that dependency is debilitating. They understand that if we come over and we do everything for them and we just stay there until we're like ready to retire, which that's not a biblical concept, but I won't get into that. (laughs) Then do you know what? They can't do the ministry that God has called them to do. So what do we do? We go over and we run one lap, but they're already working in the field. And they say, hey, we don't tell them we're coming. They say, hey, when can you come and do this? We need this tool for our people so they can have access to more people who don't know Jesus. And we go over and we run one lap. It lasts one week. And we hand the baton off to the people that they have said to train. Thank you guys. Man, that's... We have to imagine their point of view. We have to think family. We have to say, we're all in this together. 
the, the knee doesn't say to the elbow, man, I wish I was an elbow. Have you ever thought about your elbow? It doesn't get to do much, but if without an elbow, can you imagine doing living life? You can't. We're a body. We all have different roles. There are certain of us that get more notoriety than others. But I tell you, at iTech, iTech would not function if I was the only guy there. It just wouldn't happen. If we didn't have that team back at that table, and the others that are at other places, you know what? iTech would not function. In fact, it functions a whole lot better when they're doing what God has called them to do at iTech than it does when I'm the only one there. Which never happens because I would, I would have to leave. So I'm going to show you a video. This is about, this is, I, I call this the right partner. This is a video that we filmed in Kenya um, just a little bit ago and you'll recognize Frank. He has his IC shirt on um, in this video.
people to share the love of Christ in one in a community are? The people from that community. The people from that community are the best. You know what? ITech doesn't have all the answers. We're not coming in here saying, hey, this is the only way to do missions. But we are saying this. That if we're gonna if we're gonna fulfill the Great Commission the only way it's going to happen is if we train our brothers and sisters around the world, handing off the baton to them and letting them run. And then going somewhere else and repeating that. Some of our like-minded organizations that are here, Hope Alive Initiatives, Frank Bucacci and his team, Fame, Bill Warren, they're over in the block, Empower Approach, their, their booth is down uh, on the lower level here. Teach to Transform. They're on the upper level on the far side. Southeast Christian Church, you're here. Renew World Outreach, Green Window, Alabaster Ministries, Harvest Ministries, which uh, is what Caleb's um, in, and, and there are others as well. What we're not doing is we're not training doctors and dentists to be in the big city. What we are doing is we are training Christ followers to be in the rural communities to be the front line of, of services 
So that if somebody is critically injured, if somebody has an abscessed tooth, then, then we have Christ followers who are there who are able to show and share the love of Christ. Because it doesn't matter if people die with abscessed teeth or no abscessed teeth. It doesn't matter if they die with a with, you know, medical problem or no medical problem. It does matter where they go when they die. And these three billion people, that is the mission. And you can say, you know what, but it just doesn't work. Well, I'm telling you, it works and it has worked around the world. We're not one organization. We're many organizations that are doing training and equipping. And the only way we're going to accomplish this is by having people here who are willing and people there who are also willing. Building empowering partnerships. That's how it's done. The right partner is the key to it, but the willingness is also key. So, we have a few minutes. Questions? Yes. So, when you're, when we talk about going into an unreached people group, so where you may not really have Christians already there, like, in the concept of that first lap, like, what is that? Yeah, so if we, I understand. If we don't, if we're trying to go to an unreached people group, so how do you run that first lap? What you do is you train people in a, in a close-by community, the closest cultural context, who are wanting to go into that area. You give them a tool, because a lot of times you can't go into an area because they don't want to hear the gospel. But you give that pastor or that church planner or that disciple maker, you give them a tool. Then they know, hey man, the people over there, they have some dental problems. You give somebody a dental chair, the training and the tools to go in, and let me... They will be welcomed. And um, there, Pastor Zach, who works with uh, Hope Alive, is one of those guys. He went into Gao Mali. And the only reason that they did not kill him when Al-Qaeda came through is because the community stood up for him. Great question. Any other questions? Yes. What about permission from the government, essentially? Um, that is why the right partner is so important. Uh, Frank was sharing earlier in his session that in Kenya, every county is different. So you can go in one county, you talk to the Ministry of Health, they're all about it, but the bigger, the wealthier areas, like Nairobi, they're totally against it, so you can't do it there. In Tamale, in northern Ghana, when our team went there the first time in 2004, January of 2004, there in an area of over two and a half million people, there was one part-time government dentist. So we trained five pastors. The, the issue, there was no care. And now, and actually in, in times past, the government dentist, when he ran into a problem, he would send them to the pastors. And the same thing I've heard in India. When the government dentists who are out in the rural areas just helping a little bit, because, I mean, India, tons of people, then they will send the, them to the pastors. In, um, with Hope Alive, I think you have six, six clinics right now in the Tamale area that are all run by lay people. 
They're having an impact. And then they can go out from there and go out into the even more rural communities. Um, in India, what they had to do is, uh, so the government stepped in afterwards and said, you can't, you can't be doing this. You have to have some medical training. So they did a week-long medical course. They got certified in that. And then the government said, okay, well, that also covers you for the dental. Because the villages are asking for it. Um, in, uh, in Mozambique, we went in and we trained, I think, three or four people there. And the, there was a government nurse who observed the training. And we went all over in the bush. Uh, Mercy Air flew us to these remote villages. The government came in and stopped it. At least they thought they stopped it. These people said, man, they need Jesus and they have teeth problems. We're going to still work. But they had to work under the radar. Then, about a year and a half after the training, the government said, come into the hospital. We want to see you do extractions. They saw them do extractions proficiently. Now, had they not been doing them for the year and a half, they would not have been able to do extractions. Because practice makes perfect when it comes to that. So they went and the government certified them to do dentistry in that whole area. And they said, they even taught them how to use their autoclaves. We use a pressure pod. Same result is accomplished. But they said, anytime we have supplies, they're yours to use for free to help our people. So, are government regulations a concern? Absolutely. But we rely on our partners to determine what is and what is, what is not okay in that area. Good question. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, we have three minutes, right? Yeah. Do we do we encourage students to use them vocationally? No. Um, how can they use them vocationally? As long as they have the heart that the main point of the ministry is to be able to share the gospel with their people, then if they end up making some money to supplement, because they have to charge something, otherwise it's not self-sustaining. But we rely on our partners in country to determine that. So I would go and I would talk to Frank and. If Frank says, hey, yeah, what they really need right now is, man, there's no jobs for these people. And so they want their pastors, but there's no money coming into the church. So they're going to do this, and they're going to do it in uh, DRC. What they're, Craig, they're working like four or five days a week doing dentistry because that is their mission field. So we don't encourage them to do it. That's, they're not going to hang up a brick and, you know, and say, hey, this is... We're now a dental clinic. That's not what it's for. One more question, and then we're, we got to go. Yes. Yeah, do we use the training ever as an evangelistic tool? No. Um, our only focus is to train indigenous Christ followers. If there's an area with none... We're going to train people close by who want to go into that area, but we're not going to go into an area and and have you know North Americans do this as an event because we're not the best people to share the gospel. The indigenous ones are. No, we only train mature Christ followers. Yeah. Let's pray and then uh, stop by our booth, sign up for the newsletter. You'll get those those resources for free. 
If you want a hard copy, put a donation in the basket if you can. Um, or sweet talk somebody in our, our team and you'll get this for free. Father, you're good. Lord, this mission that you've given us is not impossible if we do your will your way. Please challenge us. Keep us focused on, on keeping our eyes on you and realizing that there are three billion people who have never heard. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming.